So at that point, just like let people pre- play pretend government. Like let them break it up so that nobody has enough power to do anything really bad, and let people play pretend government. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, you want to be an eco-fascist? Like, cool. Fair enough. I'm a you know Marxist Leninist trot you know Maoist um uh like raccoon political party Mm -hmm. you know like that's what i believe in i believe in uh symbiotic relationships with the raccoons Mm -hmm. uh there's the raccoon class and then uh you know the working class and together yeah you know we overthrow the bourgeois whatever it doesn't (laughs) none of it matters i would love to see that Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the only podcast on the internet where we try and uh, figure out the truth about the universe, one Wikipedia article at a time. That's right. I am, of course, joined by my wonderful, wonderful co-host, Alex Virgil. Oh, that's me. And I, as always, am joined by my spectacular co-host, John Miklas. Virgil, how you doing? I'm good, man. It's one of those uh, interesting moments where it feels like uh, things are things are leveling out, and it's an uncertain moment. I think where it's like, is it okay to start thinking that things are leveling out, or is that is that the uh, the mistake, right? The mistake, yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think that there is um there is like a moment of relief mm-hmm. the question is what comes out of that right you know right who knows yeah who can predict yeah. and it's like i'm not i'm done clenching my butthole yeah about it mm-hmm. and i'm done getting my hopes up about it mm-hmm. and i'm just ready to like you know like vibe vibe and watch and watch watch what's gonna happen you know Mm -hmm. like it's you know i mean here's the deal here's the deal listener and virgil life's a trip man it it really is a trip and you all you can do is like just like try to appreciate it (laughs) you know that's all that's all we can really do um well yeah with that in mind um If this is your first time listening, uh, this is a positivity podcast. Uh, We we like to think positive. We like to to embrace the moment and self help sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And thank you for listening. If you're you're, if you're back, um, come on in, little piggy. Get (laughs) some of this. Come on. Oh, you (laughs) Uh, love it. If you wanna if you wanna get a hold of us, we're on Instagram and Twitter. and you can you can email us too. Yep. Um, you know, lots of people always we're getting emails every day from our listeners saying, "Why don't you talk about this? Why don't you talk about that? I really didn't like the way that you did this." And all I can say is, "Keep it coming." And I'm just gonna send back two <laughs> words: "Fuck you, fuck, fuck you, you." Maybe four fuck off as well. Um, yeah, fuck off, peasant. It's funny because as your other co-host, I don't know if 
you're joking about the number of emails we get or not because I haven't checked the email since the last time we talked about how I don't check the email. Yeah, I think um, I would rather keep it a mystery to you as well. Uh, I think it's better for you and your mental health. I was going to suggest. I was going to suggest that we have a segment called um, "Any Notable Emails," but <laughs> but I kind of like the idea of it just being a mystery. It's a mystery. You get I to just... have inside jokes with listeners that I'm not in on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Which is great. Well, with that in mind, Virch, do you have any old business? I happen to have a pretty fun little piece of old business yes. regarding one of our old uh, ethnic enclaves. Yes. So, uh, Miklas, are you familiar with Svalbard? Yeah, I am. Happen, Quite familiar. That happens to be where Barentsburg is. It is. It is. Um, so I think I came upon this separate piece about Svalbard. Awesome. Amazing, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, from like an unrelated um, article, which is cool. But on Svalbard, near Barentsburg, is a settlement called Longyearbyen. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah, which is the de facto capital of Svalbard. It's basically like if you go to Svalbard, you're flying into Long Longyearbyen. Yeah. And it is actually uh, the northernmost permanent settlement in the world, which is a fun little piece. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, you know, I'm sure like so many of its, so many of its places, you know, kind of tout that. But mm -hmm. Longyearbyen has some cool little things about it for example it is uh the home of like the seed bank the global seed vault where there are about 860 samples of all the known crop seeds in the world just placed and like vaulted there frozen there as like a doomsday, like interstellar, you know, seed wow. bank. Listeners can't see my face right now, but it is excited about this. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, that is cool. cool. And the, that is super cool. And the building okay, itself I, I, looks amazing. It looks like exactly like out of a fucking out of like a rival or something. It's just like this kind of like slab of concrete building that's jutting out of the snow. Very simple, kind of like Nordic design. And it is just like a doomsday Whoa. vault that allegedly stores every, like a seed of every crop known. So a couple things. Yes. First, that it, it, I'm just so tickled and excited that it's in Svalbard. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. Second, 860 seeds. There's only eight. No, like no, no. no. Just... 860,000. Okay, I was about to be like, I could, I could literally memorize every single seed in the world. No, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know there were only thousand. that many crops. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking like holy fuck. Like, I'm sure it's to the point where it's like, like whoever's in charge is like looking for seeds that are like probably like endemic and not culture, not like you know, globally recognized and stuff that they're just trying to like protect as much as possible. That is. One of the coolest 
things I've ever heard. Yeah. Like, I, I want to work for the Svalbard Seed Vault. It's, I, it's so sick. That's so rad. And the town, oh unlike Barrensburg, the town actually looks pretty cute and livable. And it, apparently, like, 2,000 people live there. Wow. Yeah, it's like an actual, you know, town where, like, people go out and, like, hang out and live their lives as opposed to just, like, researching Arctic whatever. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah, and the name Longyearbyen was actually named after an American who uh, I think began coal, the coal mining industry, which used to be the big one there. Um, not mm-hmm. anymore, though. Um, oh, um, as of 2014, around 120 Thai people inhabited Longyearbyen, making them the town's second largest ethnic population after Norwegians. Oh, my God. Thai people who, like, it's not like Scandinavians moving to, like, the U.S., northern parts of the U.S., and, like, this is Thai people living in the northern 120. And so they have a Thai restaurant, a Thai supermarket, and celebrates an annual festival showcasing Thai customs. In fucking long beer, long year being Svalbard. Honestly, Svalbard is sounding better and better. I'm yeah. starting to I'm starting to really think we might need to go to Svalbard. Is along with Darien Gap and mm-hmm. um, that one like hidden neighborhood in um, the Sultanate of Oman. Those are on the mm-hmm. Hegelian Friendship Simulator World Tour live episodes. Yeah, that yeah. We're doing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, man. Add it to the list. The Svalbard one is going to be so chill and so great. Off the chain. We're going to get every single person that lives on Svalbard to the show. Yeah. It's going to be the entire island will be there. Maybe we'll do it for the, like, the, um, like, summer solstice or something. I don't know. I'm just spitballing mm-hmm. here. They do um, midsummer, yeah. Cool. Sun Festival week. Yeah. And shit. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that was, yeah, that was like that's, so that's much awesome. more amazing information out of Svalbard. So I love it. Anyway, uh, that's my, Virg, I actually have an old business too. Um, amazing. So, okay. So we were, we had multiple people mm. reach out to either both of us or me specifically okay. after last week's episode saying that they would do anything to listen to the lost episode (laughs) uh and i need the listeners to understand the lost episode is lost for a couple of reasons multiple because is because it was um because i got pretty much blacked out drunk Mm -hmm. uh so the content not our best episode but virgil also had his software crash and lost his entire audio yeah. Um, mm-hmm. However, we still had my audio, uh, <laughs> and so I went back and I listened to my one-sided audio, and I put together a little clip that was kind of like the best moments of it, um, <laughs> and I was hoping to play it for us right now. Um, you could play it for us, or uh, are we about I, to start I, a Patreon? <laughs> paywall, paywall. If you want to hear Nichols talking, talking to himself. <laughs> Five dollars will get you two taste. minutes. Well, this is a little taste. And if you are a listener out there and you are like, you know what? I need more of this. I am willing 
to mm-hmm. do a second episode a week where I drink a bottle of wine and you listen to my incoherent ramblings on top of the weekly episode. So we do yeah. like a like so this could be the Patreon and this is a little taste of what you could get. So please reach out if this is interesting to you. Yo. And um I I will add I will do my part which is to be in every episode with nothing prepared. Um just just being a a wall to bounce your <laughs> yeah, good. blasphemies off of are you ready? Spicy t- spicy takes. <laughs> All right. All right. What were we talking about? <laughs> Mormonism is a fascinating thing because it is all fake. And because the the people who are that are kind of like spearheading it, um, they don't care anymore. Boujolais. <laughs> Apologies to my twin friends out there. Uh, Twins freak me the fuck out, man. They freak me the fuck out. (laughs) Yeah, fuck you. If you're British, fuck you. Stop listening. Like a radio DJ. Pablo Dorita. Like, I don't know. There's country wisdom in it, and I'm not going to back down from it. And I don't think you should either. Yeah, which doesn't it doesn't even fucking matter. I love sitting here thinking that Henry Kissinger was fucking wrong, and I hope he rots in hell when he dies. <laughs> I do. Ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. Boujolais. We are. The <laughs> We're the problem. They should be scared of us. They should be scared to be stuck in here with us. And us is ev- literally everyone we know. Literally everyone we know. Wow, All right. So those are the lost episodes. Spicy takes. That was possibly the best 86 seconds of 2021 for me. I mean, yo, we need to get like a shitty animator. The- not a <laughs> shitty animator. A good no, animator but, that does yeah. good shitty animation because... That's like the next Mr. Balloon Hands. <laughs> yeah, the, because the thing that I started to realize, it honestly, and this, this is something that is both a blessing and a curse, is that as a as a blackout, I am mm-hmm. only like 1.25 times more ridiculous than I am as a human. Right. So like, it's a, it's not like I like am like, well, listen here. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So I sound coherent, mm-hmm. but... When you start to strip the things that I'm saying of the context of the conversation, <laughs> they just start to get more and more ridiculous. And I think completely stripped of the podcast with animation, it could be wild. <laughs> because being the only person that understands the context, and I almost said being the only other person, but that assumes that you do. No, no being <laughs> the only person in the world that understands the full context of that, that was absolutely ridiculous, hilarious, and yet... Such a good representation of how that went. <laughs> yeah, of the Such an incredibly right? accurate, not just the form, which was sloppy, I would say capital S yeah. sloppy, but the content. Yeah. You. <laughs> Boujolais! Boujolais! <laughs> the biggest culprit. That's amazing. I. um, God. 
Ah, yeah. to quote Heath Ledger, you know, if you're good at something, never do it for free, you know? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a paywall-worthy shit. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to hear more more drunk ramblings, I'm happy to oblige. Happy to oblige. I would say that I am, um, in many ways, a wild stallion of spicy takes when I'm drunk. You know, it's just like, hey, they can't be tamed. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, the most beautiful thing mm-hmm. is to not try and, like, cage it and, and, and fit it into a box. It's like, yeah. those are for the world. Like, they're not for recording. They don't... Here's, don't deserve to be. Here's what I'm going to casually pitch more to the listeners than you is if we did do a Patreon, but explicitly for the purpose of funding the bottle of wine per week that will it will take to do the second episode every week. <laughs> do you know what time it is, Verge? Ethnic enclave. Of the week. Um, we're gonna go with a pretty, just like a pretty, like straight down the middle. Love it. Kind of interesting, but like back to back to basics. One, just another piece of worldly information to put in my pocket. You know, exactly. And we are gonna talk about the the Kreuzberg district oh. in Berlin, Germany. Oh. Um. So, this is just straight from Wikipedia. Yeah. But um, Kreuzberg is a district of Berlin. It is mm-hmm. part of Friedrichshain Kreuzberg Borough, located south of Mitt. I've never been to Berlin, so none of that means anything to me. Yeah, that sounds real. Um, during the Cold War era, it was one of the per- poorest areas of West Berlin. Oh, interesting. But since German reuni- reunification in 1990, it has become more gentrified and is now known for its art scene. Mm. The borough is known for its large percentage of immigrants and mm. descendants of immigrants, many of whom are of Turkish ancestry. Oh, interesting. As of as of 2006, 31.6% of Kreuzberg's inhabitants did not have German citizenship. Whoa. It's noted for its diverse cultural life and experimental alternative lifestyles and is an attractive area for many. However, some parts of this district are still characterized by higher levels of unemployment. Mm. The counterculture tradition of Kreuzberg led to a plurality of votes for the Green Party, nice. which is like I think the most mainstream left-wing party mm-hmm. in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, and it's unique among all Berlin boroughs. Um, so that's so that's the the basics, and the reason it, cool. it popped out for was for a couple things. One is I I found it because I searched Little Istanbul. And it was the mm. first result, like on Google for little is simple. So, is like by search engine standards, the most prominent Turkish neighborhood in the world, like the Turkish ethnic enclave in the world. Right. And the the Turkish people have kind of become known as like the the largest minority group of Germany. Yeah. Why Why are you making a face? No, I was just sorry. A uh, little bit of a deviation. Doesn't Block Party have a song called Cruiseberg? Oh, maybe. And I just looked it up. Uh, they do. Oh, nice. Well, now when I listen to that song, maybe I'll have some actual context and understand. Yeah, there we go. Boom. Already valuable information. But a couple of things that is interesting about this is mm-hmm. that I'm pretty sure I may be talking out of my ass. Mm. Um, any of our Berlin listeners can 
please correct me. We love but you, pretty, unlike our, yeah. unlike the Brits. The unlike the Brits, yeah. yeah. Um, the Turkish immigration to Germany, yeah, is like a not recent recent, okay. but I think is a predominantly post Cold War phenomenon. Oh, interesting. And I find it interesting because this kind of bucks a pretty prevalent aspect of these ethnic enclaves Mm -hmm. that this was a poor neighborhood that has gentrified along with increased levels of immigration Mm. which is kind of interesting kind of cool that is interesting like i'm curious like what effect because 31 percent is pretty fucking high really high and for that to be all of not all of after the cold war but like well, let's see. Let's yeah, let's dig into the history section. Let's. Um, so it was a part of the American sector mm-hmm. in the occupation. Yeah. Um, the housing rents were regulated by law, which mm-hmm. made investments unattractive. Mm-hmm. As, a result, as a result, housing was of low quality but cheap, which made the borough a prime target for immigrants coming to Germany and Berlin. So this is that makes sense. This is yeah. Starting in the late 60s, increasing numbers of students, artists, and immigrants ban- began arriving to Kreuzberg. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Closed by the Berlin Wall on three sides, the area became famous oh. for alternative lifestyle and its squatters. I have a feeling, I mean, Berlin is admittedly probably the major European city I have the least sense of geography about. Yes. I know like almost nothing. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine that if you talk to anyone that knows Berlin well, mm-hmm. like, Kreuzberg is probably one of the most prominent and, like, famous neighborhoods in the city. I can, Doesn't it, it seems like that. I can see, well, like, because when I think about Berlin after 1980, let's say, yeah. like, not necessarily after the wall came down, but, like, after 1980, it's the strong counterculture. Mm-hmm. strong distinctive counterculture yeah um being like one of the biggest aspects and it, it sounds to me like Kreuzberg probably has a large amount to do with this whether yeah. it's because of the it's like the combination of the loca- physical location relative to the wall um the rent control situation like it seems like all of this is kind of the perfect storm yeah, and it's it. Yeah, agreed. For what uh, became like one of the most distinctive European, you know, youth countercultures coming out of Europe. Yeah, no, absolutely. It it says here that Kreuzberg has historically been home to Berlin's punk rock movement. There you go. Um, and then also significant influence stemming from African American and hip hop culture. Oh, cool. Uh, and the area has become a center for rap and breakdance within Berlin. Mm-hmm. The majority, though, the majority of Kreuzberg's residents are of German or Turkish descent. Some identify more with American or African American culture. Yeah, that's and yeah, I, I think that there are there are definitely some unique aspects about Germany mm-hmm. and its like demographic makeup and just its culture in Europe. Mm-hmm. And this seems like like a very particularly unique um unique but also maybe more worldly like less german influenced more kind of like is it it just seems like a really interesting neighborhood yeah 
Uh, I think I'm up, right, Verge? You are up first. So, I'm really excited about this. Okay. Um, it was a true wiki hole. Fuck yeah. True, it was a true, like, um, like every step. Like, I, the, the page that I kind of got to where I was like, this is my page. There was an additional link that made the story even cooler. And I actually do think um, this will be, we should write a screenplay about this. <gasps> Yay! Um, yeah, I think fun. there's like, there's actually something here. So this is um, the story of Archie E. Mitchell. Amazing. Um, I have never heard the name, so oh, fuck yeah. Already all awesome. Right. Um... I think I'm going to try and attempt to just tell the story rather than reading from Wikipedia at all. Okay. Um, so the story, though, starts in World War II. Um, and in World War II, in the Pacific Theater, mm-hmm. obviously the majority or you know the entirety of the fighting happened yeah. in the Pacific. Right. Pushing into asia yeah and eventually culminating with the the dropping of the bombs on hiroshima and nagasaki right little known fact Mm -hmm. is that japan actually had a program they were developing a program to push the fighting onto the continental u.s Mm -hmm. are you familiar with this at all do you know this um probably i vaguely right i am familiar well like i know that like there was only one attack on the continental U.S., and this is one of those, like, everyone in the Pacific Northwest knows this story thing. Okay, so you know this story. You know part of this story. This is, is this the, the what is it, a, was it a balloon? I want to say yeah. it was a balloon. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah. it's the, the, the Fugo Balloon Bomb program. Amazing. I've only ever um, talked about this with my dad. Like, he told me the story. Yeah. And it's been 20 years since, maybe. So, so basically, the Japanese military. Okay. Um, in this is, um, so like late war. I mean, I think at this point Japan was really, really falling behind in mm-hmm. the war. This is 1944. Is yeah, when yeah. They, and they they developed a program of using fire balloons or balloon bombs, mm-hmm. and they were weapons launched by Japan during World War II. It was a hydrogen balloon with a load varying from a 33-pound anti-personnel bomb mm-hmm. to one 26-pound incendiary bomb and four 11-pound incendiary devices attached. Um, it was a di- designed as a cheap weapon intended to make use of the jet stream over the Pacific Ocean mm-hmm. and drop bombs on American cities, forests, and farmland. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, from nineteen late nineteen forty four till early nineteen forty five, the Japanese launched over ninety three hundred fire balloons, mm-hmm. of which three hundred <laughs> were found or observed in the U.S. Oh wow! So, I didn't know so that. So they just they were in a position where they were getting pushed back. Yeah. In the war, they were mm-hmm. losing territory. Yeah. And they wanted to create some sort of chaos in the American homeland. Mm-hmm. And so they just started filling balloons up and attaching bombs to them 
and sending them across the ocean. And for, mind you, for um, another like 40 or 50 years, this was the longest range attack ever recorded in history. Oh, wow. I mean, this is... This is thousands of miles. Yeah, like pre-ICBM, just, it was just it, like... it was a, it was the original drone. I mean, it was an unmanned balloon with a bomb attached to it. These are countries that were being led by cranks. To mm-hmm. go back to our original discussion, is like a lot of people with crazy ideas mm-hmm. that were being kind of allowed to explore those crazy ideas. Right? You know, it was like. A very, I think, a very weird energy in Imperial Japan yeah. in 1945. Oh. Like, really wild stuff. That's so funny because I've been, you know, I've been, I had been forced to study that at a, 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 a much, you know, large, what do you say, larger, you know, capacity. Yeah. Um, And I think I've never heard it described as succinctly and accurately and astutely as you right now, where it's just like weird energies, man. It was weird <laughs> energies. Yeah. Um, you know, weirdly, a movie that I think does a good job, at least for Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. of getting that like weird energy mm-hmm. is um, the movie Hellboy. Yeah. That kind of occult where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, history could have really taken a different path. Mm-hmm. Like, not a lot... if only slight things had gone differently like if the molotov ribbentrop pact had gone a little you know had stayed intact a little bit longer like the world would be a very very different place Mm -hmm. and much more full of weird energy like that is yeah uh, that is for sure um the fact that we live in a reality where we averted some of the weirdest energy and yet we're here is (laughs) (laughs) imagine uh, so, all right, so Japan released these bombs, and they were found in Alaska, Alberta, mm-hmm. Arizona, British Columbia, California, Colorado, Hawaii, mm-hmm. Idaho, Iowa, Kansas, Mexico, Michigan, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, North Dakota, Oregon, South Dakota, Texas, Utah, Washington, Wyoming, and Yukon Territory. So, it actually did kind of work. The, the balloon didn't. part. The balloon, the part, balloon part really landed. I'm actually surprised. I didn't know all this. That um, and and one of the main functions, the thing that they actually, they weren't trying to like, they didn't think that they could actually like bomb Los Angeles. Right. Um, right. what they thought they could do is get these bombs to land in any of the forests mm-hmm. in the west and start a forest fire. Right. And then that would divert like energy resources and resources. Yeah away from the pacific theater Mm -hmm. so it's like you know it is weird energy but it actually like is founded in some level of like forethought and then it so it they they did this Mm -hmm. and there were tons of problems they it, it didn't it obviously didn't work very well right um but americans also started to be like the american military Mm -hmm became aware of it right. and became aware of the fact and and it became kind of like a um uh like a urban legend almost oh interesting people were like like kind of like spreading whispering like right. oh you know like the japanese could bomb us with these balloon like balloons are gonna come bomb yeah. our cities but 
the American military coordinated with the American media and they said, do not ever talk about the balloons. Do not mm. ever report on the balloons, no matter what happens, mm. because they knew that the Japanese were monitoring the media mm -hmm. and they wanted the Japanese to think that it just absolutely did just not a work complete failure. And, and it worked. That plan worked. And the Japanese did, they, they did this for like three months and it, mm -hmm. um, and, and it, it never, they just, they decided to cut it because it just didn't, it didn't work. Um, yeah, with no evidence of any effect, General Kusaba was ordered to cease operations in April 1945, believing the, the mission had been a total fiasco. The expense was mm -hmm. large, and in the meantime, the B-29s had destroyed two of three hydrogen plants needed by the project. The last fire balloon was launched in April 1945. Um, however, this is where our story begins. Okay. And um, mind you, I want to write a movie about this. Uh Mm -hmm. because I think that there are, and I also want to talk about it right now. Right. This story, mm -hmm. uh, the story of um, Archie Miller, Archie along Mitchell. with his, or, yeah, sorry, Archie Mitchell, <laughs> yeah. along with his wife, Elsie Mitchell, mm -hmm. and five children from their church that were, uh, they were taking on a Sunday school picnic. Right. Edward Engen, yeah. Jay Gifford, Joan Patsky, Dick Patsky, mm -hmm. and Sherman Shoemaker. There, in my head, mm -hmm. are real parallels to be made in a story mm -hmm. with the story of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm -hmm. And not because, like, the death of five people in America is somehow in any way equivalent to the death right of you know the the just the horrible aching catastrophe and not even catastrophe like cruelty that mm -hmm. was the dropping of the the hydrogen or the atomic bombs right but on the the in the sense of what is tragedy and right like and like the the concept of death there is this like weird parallel about it right i i i love that you bring that point up um, because when I was told this story and even the few times that, you know, a couple of times in my life that it's come up with like older family members on my dad's side from Washington, like it is told as like a story that's like sad and serious and like, it is a tragedy. Yeah. It was very interesting. Cause it's like the only five people on the continent in the U S yeah, it's a the, to die on the mainland during right. World War Two, yeah, civilians, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to read the I'm going to read this entire section. Okay. Um, on May fifth, nineteen forty five, a pregnant woman and five children were killed when they discovered mm -hmm. a balloon bomb that had landed in the forest of Gearheart Mountain in southern Oregon. Right. Arch Archie Mitchell was the pastor of Bly Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. He and his pregnant wife Elsie drove up to Gearheart Mountain with five of their Sunday school students, aged eleven to fourteen, to have a picnic. Mm. They had to spot uh, had to stop at the spot near Bly, Oregon, due to construction and a road closing. Elsie and the children got out of the car at Bly, while Archie drove on to find a parking spot. As Elsie and the children looked for a good picnic spot, they saw a strange balloon lying on the ground. Mm. There were two explosions. The boys were killed immediately. And Elsie died as Archie used his hands to extinguish the fire on her clothing. Mm. Joan Patsky survived the initial blast but died later. A bomb disposal expert guessed that the bomb had been kicked. They were the only people whose deaths were attributed to the balloon bombs deployed on American soil. 
Right. Military personnel arrived on the scene within hours and saw that the balloon still had snow underneath it, while the surrounding area did not. They concluded that the balloon bomb had drifted to the ground several weeks earlier and had lain there undisturbed until found by the group. Hmm. Uh, Elsie is buried in the Ocean View Cemetery at Port Angeles. Memorial, the Mitchell Monument, is located at the point of the explosion, 69 miles northeast of Klamath Falls. Mm-hmm. It was listed in the National Register of Historic Places in 2001. Several Japanese civilians have visited the monument to offer their apologies for the deaths that mm-hmm. took place here, and several cherry trees have been planted around the monument as a symbol of peace. Um, so it is, yeah, you, you know, there is something like yeah, it's very interesting. I think I think there's something like truly deeply tragic about mm-hmm. it, like the just the 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 setup, right? You know, in my in my head, I like see like this car full. You know, this like beautiful, like sun washed day, uh, in a you know, old station wagon and like uh Archie's driving, car full of kids singing like right. um go tell it on a mountain, you yeah. know. And and it's like uh it's like a, a like Shutter Island, you know, like this right. memory where it's like, Archie come over here and then the explosion. Right. So it's it it's crazy the setup. But it's also framed in this larger world conflict. Mm-hmm. It was just like the amount of carnage is really beyond comprehension, mm-hmm. and it and it is absolutely goes to that that old quote that's like, um, one death is a tragedy and one million deaths is a statistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, like, what are the odds, right? It's like one of those things where it's like, what are the odds that the one that ultimately did its job killed the people that you could argue least deserve it, right? Right. Right. And a yeah. number that isn't like casualties of war kind of thing. Like in a circumstance that feels so specifically tragic and, and specific. Yeah. And, and, very interesting. and even... even... You know, I the thing that I found interesting mm-hmm. in this Wikipedia article, which is like a for this in the scope of Wikipedia, like a relatively well written article. Right. Um and there is so much um emotion mm-hmm. in those two paragraphs on this encyclopedia website. You right. know, like like it's impossible not to have a lens of like kind of like um tugging at the heartstrings when you talk about this situation like just all of the details are so precise right and they're so you know he was he was putting out the fire on her dress yeah like, these are like there's really characterization like visceral yeah. yeah um but our story doesn't end there so we, okay. we must continue please uh so archie mitchell right he's a pastor mm-hmm. um he just witnessed his wife die yeah. from a bomb that no one had any idea existed in Bly, Oregon. Right. 1945. Um, he would move on with his life. Mm-hmm. He ended up actually marrying okay. the older sister of Dick and Joan Patsky. Oh. Uh, yeah. Very, that's uh, an interesting, like not shared, really like a trauma moment. The, yeah, not necessary to the to the like the ultimate. Um, yeah, story but that's an interesting like Twin Peaks like sub multiple story arc. Yeah, 
And what's crazy about Archie Mitchell mm-hmm. is that his opening paragraph on his Wikipedia article does mm-hmm. not mention the um, balloon bomb tragedy at all. He is That's so interesting, on yeah. Wikipedia and famous for, for other reasons. completely different. Yes. In fact... Wow, I'm on the page now, and it doesn't even mention World War II at all. In, in fact, yeah, sorry. Yeah. In fact, he ended up becoming a missionary. He was already a, a pastor. Right. He marries Barbara Patsky, mm-hmm. and him and Barbara mm-hmm. move to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And they end up working at a leper colony... Mm-hmm. In South Vietnam, mm-hmm. and in 1962, the Viet Cong storms the leper colony, and they take Archie, as well as Daniel Amstutz and Dr. Eleanor Ardell Vietti, a hostage, and none of the three of them have been seen since that day. And there is there is quite a lot of. Um, knowledge Damn. based on on u.s military intelligence mm-hmm. that they were taken and that they were kept alive because they needed they they helped like um they had medical backgrounds right, because they were right. missionaries and so the Viet Cong used them to right. like there's value um, yeah to 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 you know work on um apply medical care um but he is not officially dead mm-hmm According to, you know, like on officially he is missing and he has been missing for 58 years, eight months and six days. Right. Archie's dead. Our mm-hmm. boy's dead. Um, mind you, like that's let's be real. But yeah. but the the thing is, I find it. I think that there is so much nuance mm-hmm. to 20th century geopolitics, obviously. Right. And particularly, there's a ton of nuance to the U.S.'s geopolitical relationship with East Asia in the yeah. 20th century. I think that that's is, the focal point. Yeah, and and is often sometimes, and probably it's you know primarily racism, right? But is the 20th century story was not nuanced around like oh these are people with emotions too on the other side no 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 you know it's like it's very but it's the white man's burden yeah i do find archie's story pretty interesting in that man that dude took a lot of he got a lot of bad breaks with the east asian community yeah (laughs) he did he he was he was uh, involved in the only deaths by a, you know, on um, contiguous American soil during yeah. World War II, a, an errant balloon bomb sent from Japan, and then he was kidnapped by the G- G- Viet Cong and disappeared. Like, yeah, that's like the the balloon. Story. The fact that the balloon bomb is the first act. Yeah, and uh, that's especially for him to have had his whole life turned or turned around by, you know a uh, faceless Asian enemy during that time in the U.S. and then to go to Vietnam in the 60s and do what he did, you know. He's he's like a Warner Herzog character, I think. You know, where it's like, Art, and this is this is editorializing. Like, mm, yeah, this is not. Course. We don't know who Archie was, and 
what he did. But mm-hmm. in my head, this is a man mm-hmm. who has who who tried to do right. Right. Who, who under the circumstances of the culture that he was a part of, like wanted to 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 do good, mm-hmm. and was thrust into a situation so much more complicated mm-hmm. than his life would be mm-hmm. associated with and then to yeah. turn around in what i perceived yeah to be like a true act of like forgiveness toward towards like a faceless right. cultural entity uh you know obviously vietnam's not mm-hmm. japan but to like to go to east asia after that as a missionary and then to be again thrust mm-hmm. into a situation much more nuanced and complicated than he should be a part of. To be faced with that much tragedy does not indicate like the evils of the enemy of of the people that are enacting it. It's just the the right. the absolute chaos that is existence, right. right? You know, like it's it's more. It's not as it's. It's not an example of like, oh, well, yeah, those those Asians, they can't be trusted. It's just right. like you were just in the wrong place. And mm-hmm. it, this is much bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because you were trying to do right and do good. But yeah. you just can't escape it. Like you can't get, get, can't get away from yourself. I see this as a... Um... And I hope I hope people don't interpret this as trivializing the very reality of the events that happened by putting it in movie terms. Right. Um, I see this as a Terrence Malick movie, a lot of monologue introspection. There is no white savior in this. Right. No one gets saved. There's no there. No one is saved, and there's no. That's I think an important right. aspect of the the narrative of it. I Nobody mean, this is true faith. You know, if we're going that lens, it's like he doesn't see the fruits of most of his labor in this yeah. in the narrative that would be. This is know. a this is a my God my God why have you forsaken me moment right it it is it, it is it is not a it's not a happy ending but if you frame it in the sense of his faith right then it doesn't matter it, but the idea of. Archie knowing pretty much at this point knowing that he's going to die and having the choice to save five Vietnamese children versus not and reflecting on the five American children he saw die not and that kind of like tying in yeah um well so this actually and I'll I'll, I guess I'll complete my wiki hole mm -hmm. to kind of slightly go away from from archie because okay. I, I i also don't know enough i the only we've talked about this on the sh- on the pod before where it's mm-hmm. like the only things i know about vietnam are framed around the vietnam war right and i want that to not be the case because i th- yeah. I do think that there is like clearly like an incredibly rich culture and history right. there that is like more important and larger than just like america's intervention and an occupation of it for 10 years. Yeah. But I was reading about um, the Hoa Lo prison, which in America okay. is better known as the Hanoi Hilton. Um, right. It's where John McCain was. And it mm-hmm. is um, kind of 
the American interpretation or concept is just like a place of an unspeakable torture and uh, yeah I think when you think of American POWs you think Hanoi Hilton and look again this is where we get into the like the muddiness of of trying to discuss ethics right when you also discuss geopolitics but like that concept Mm -hmm. is like an american perspective and there is undoubtedly more to the story right and and i so one of the things i saw on the the wikipedia article is a picture of the hanoi or the hoelo prison rules Mm. um and it says um American servicemen participating in the war of aggression by U.S. administration in Vietnam and caught in the act while perpetrating barbarous crimes against the Vietnamese land and people should have been duly punished according to their criminal acts. But the government and people of Vietnam, endowed with noble and humanitarian traditions, have given those captured American servicemen the opportunity to benefit a lenient and generous policy by affording them a normal life in the detention camps as practical conditions of Vietnam permitted right. and conforming to the situation in which the war is still on. Mm-hmm. Detainees are to observe and carry out the following regulations. And it's like, detainees must be polite to, towards every Vietnamese in the camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, detainees must not bring back to detention rooms any object whatsoever within the camp, mm-hmm. uh, without the camp authorities. So it's like, I don't know. It, like, look, the torture happened. Yeah. It is real. It is inescapable like john mccain couldn't lift his arms above his head like and and that is you can't you can't downplay that Mm -hmm. but you also need to start to understand like the colonial like the catharsis Mm -hmm. of a of a of a group of people who have been treated like children Mm -hmm. for fucking hundreds of years and not just treated by children as described by you, like the actual propaganda policy of the government was to characterize them as children. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, and so, and so there is this like tremendous amount of like power mm-hmm. and in an innocent, like in an, like you can, I think, get yourself to a point where you're explaining a way a lot of the atrocities right because this is completely convoluted it's just like covered in nuance like do you think the americans didn't commit atrocities Mm -hmm. we know that they did Mm -hmm. we have records that 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 happened i mean we were fucking bombing villages because the Viet Cong Mm -hmm. was a was the people you know yeah. it wasn't just like it wasn't just like an army group it was like no the people were they they were the it's same the thing. Minutemen of yeah that area it, they were literally the Minutemen of their own so region i don't know i don't maybe maybe this is um like elementary and i i don't i i sometimes i i get like um imposter syndrome where i'm like Maybe these like these really nuanced things I'm thinking about are just like complicated to me, and everyone's like, "Look, well, obviously," but it's hard. I I've, just think that this stuff is like really complicated, and we don't we we don't think about it enough. Mm-hmm. Because if you allow yourself more than thirty seconds to think mm-hmm. about, if you ever just say, "Oh, well, they're the bad people," you know what they did, right? 
And then you're like, well, no, actually, like, no, look, it's just more complicated than that. Like, yeah. allow yourself to be confused. Mm-hmm. I guess I, that's my, the moral of it. I hopefully can console you on the point where you're not sure if you're speaking just, like, basic truisms and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I have recently concluded that the reason we possibly think that way is because we are both people who would rather be the dumbest person in the room and learning a bunch of stuff. Right. Than being the smartest person in the room and getting a high off of explaining shit to people who, you know, whatever. Right? Yeah. Um, I think there are a lot of intelligent people who understand these nuances to a degree. And like you just said, it's impossible for everyone to. Um. Yeah, and and it's it's it calls back to what we talked about last week, right? Where it's right. like be less sure of the things that you know, right? Because they're not there. The fact of the matter is, or maybe this was two weeks. Maybe this is the Real Housewives conversation. It's <laughs> like you are very capable of building your foundation, mm-hmm. everything you believe in, on mm-hmm. complete and utter fallacies, right? Complete and utter lies. So be less confident in your mm-hmm. positions it would but, actually yeah. make things a lot easier yeah right a good and and there are certain truths that you can actually adhere to that help you in that for example when you said there are no good guys and bad guys right like such a good example is japan versus u.s world war ii <laughs> right. all of 20th century it becomes much easier to understand the actual physical things events that you know built to world war ii if you understand that neither side is bad or good better or worse whatever right it's just a compounding of of history if you if and and it comes back to like what my ideology not ideology my perspective has been in general about morality and history the past few months slash year is uh any why about historical stuff can just you just keep tracing back to the beginning right yeah Yeah, you know which is um a little grounding in a Mm -hmm. way It, it makes you it makes you feel um makes you feel really small which is okay right but it also makes you feel like you're a part of something greater even when you don't know where the train is headed you know where it's like you know we're just i think you know every generation probably all a part of it yeah every i think every generation feels a degree of that and possibly we were the first you know us and gen x were the first ones to feel it at the level we did because of um the internet and stuff that's not something that's something i've said before Um, yeah sure but it's that idea of like you read a textbook about fucking France Francis Ferdinand and you see a picture and you go this is not the same world as me being in this class for 80 minutes and then gonna fucking text my friends under the table about fucking chicks it's all hap- it's all still happening yeah and and also yeah i would say like try do the work to understand the humanity and the people mm-hmm. that 
you hate the most. Mm-hmm. Like, and the people that frustrate you the most, like on a personal level, mm-hmm. the people that you think to be your enemy, mm-hmm. whether it's like, I don't know, conservatives online or mm-hmm. whether it's fucking uh, the Taliban. It's like, yeah, start, start to start to work backwards mm-hmm. and be like, okay, how did these people mm-hmm. get to this place? Right. Because I can promise you that they also all have the same trends backwards. Mm-hmm. And there is eventually, if you all go back far enough, mm-hmm. you get to the same place. Yeah. That's the crazy thing is that we're all just like fractals breaking off from each other forever and ever. But if you track backwards and you start to understand it, you're like, oh no, well, okay, we are still all the same. Mm-hmm. The Taliban aren't like evil. For the yeah. sake of it. They are no. not a Marvel comic villain. They have had a series of of situations culturally and mm-hmm. personally that have led them into that situation. Right. Uh, and I mean Yeah, they didn't just decide one day. Let's yeah. try this. No. Yeah. They probably read a lot of similar stuff to what like intellectuals are re- like young intellectuals are getting into right now. You know, yeah. pedagogy of the oppressed. Odds are Osama bin Laden made that required reading for his higher ups. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, we have been talking for a while. I want to hear what you have. Okay. Um, I think I think I we I think we're gonna literally talk about this for several more hours. No, if we yeah. don't like. I mean, put it's a, only it, it. it's only everything. <laughs> yeah. All right. But by the way, this is my nightcap. It's twelve percent alcohol. So. Unless you want okay. to more drunk Make it quick, is that what you're saying? Yeah, not quick, <laughs> no. but we gotta, we're racing against the clock. Of I love it. The Mormons are fascinating. <laughs> racing against the clock, that is the human condition here. Yeah. Um, all right. All right, I have a very topical subject. Okay. It is, um, are you familiar with the year 536? You ever heard of it? Is that um, the worst year of all time? The worst year to be alive. Yes. Okay. I would love to hear about it. I don't okay. know anything about it. Okay. Um, this is a bit of a hole, kind of a roundabout hole. Um, but let's start on the year 536 Wikipedia okay. page. Every year, most people I think know this by now, every year has its own page. And it talks about just kind of like the big things that happened that year. Yeah. The uh, In 2018... Medieval scholar Michael McCormick nominated 536 as the worst year to be alive because of the extreme weather events probably caused by a volcanic eruption earlier in that year, causing average temperatures in Europe and China to decline and resulting in crop failures and famine for well over a year. So this is post-fall of Rome, huh? Like- yeah, so this is like post... Um, yeah, post fall of fall of Rome. This is actually the year that Belisarius goes back, uh, takes Rome back for the Byzantine Empire. Got it. So Belisarius was a, was a general, a tec- a, but he's technically like because Byzantine is the Eastern Roman Empire. Yeah, it's, they called e- it? yeah. it's east. It's Eastern Rome once um, Italy kind of became. Uh, the fucking Italians, bro. Just yeah, like warring states. Yeah, yeah, point, right. Yeah, and this is about a hundred twenty to thirty years after 
the uh, crossing of the Rhine. Got it. So for you returners, nice. yeah, for give you returners. some content context. Um, so Italy and Rome had had fallen, so to speak, from the Roman Empire, and they're they're starting to be a bit of a hodgepodge of. This is when Goths come in. This is when like mm-hmm. the Vandals and the Ostrogoths and all that. Um, if you're like an Age of Empires type guy, uh, person. Um, and sorry to butt in, but this is the, the you said the year after the year of Belisarius. Uh, this is this is like the year Belisarius really began his push. And it's five thirty six. Five thirty six. Got it. Okay. Cool. Um, but unbeknownst to him at the time, five thirty six was about to be fucking wild. For entirely non-human reasons. The extreme weather events of 536. So we're going to move from the 536 page to the extreme weather events of 535, 536 page. Yes, let's fucking go. Let's go. Uh, Nothing like that blue line over all of those words as one page. I love it. that That is the best feeling. We're like, oh, this has a big link. Yeah. Oh, this isn't just gonna define extreme and then weather for me (laughs) um okay so the extreme weather events of 535 536 were the most severe and protracted short-term episodes of cooling in the northern hemisphere in the last 2000 years basically it is kind of considered so it's like the little ice age you know it's like the the little antique ice late antique little ice age sorry um, kind of like the only course, like yeah, yeah. full ice age in what we consider, you know, history. Yeah. Um, so how long did the, it last? The event is thought to have been caused by an extensive atmospheric dust veil, possibly resulting from a large volcanic eruption in the tropics or in Iceland. Um, the the what scientists think is the residual atmospheric smoke from and haze from the volcanic eruption um, lasted for 18 months. Oh, my God. Yeah. So this is... The reason I got here was because I was reading an article in The Atlantic, not to sound like every Brooklyn hipster from the late 2000s, early 2010s, um, that was basically talking about how tiny changes previously largely affected things right so it's like the idea that like the 0.1% difference or a 1% a 0.1% difference in the composition of the earth's atmosphere meant the difference between sweltering arctic rainforests sweltering arctic rainforests and a half mile of ice atop boston 0.1% variation in composition. So, imagine 536. That's 18 months of low sun, which led to failure of crops, obviously. Wait, sorry. I have a clarification point. Yeah, yeah. Is this implying that in the year 536, there was a half a mile of ice across Boston? No, 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 no. Oh, okay, good. Uh, Just the uh, idea that a 0.1%... Is that is Difference that extreme? In, yeah, yeah, in in composition Got could it. mean um the the prevailing theory right now 
is all of this was caused by a volcanic eruption in Iceland. Okay. One volcanic eruption in Iceland in 536. The 536 event and ensuing famine have been suggested as an explanation for the, the decline of Teotihuacan. Teotihuacan. Mm. Yeah. Um, associated to droughts related to the changes, which led to civil unrest and famines. Um, there's speculation. It... Uh, began the emergence of the plague of Justinian, which was a plague, yeah. uh, the first old world pandemic, mm-hmm. 541 to 549, the decline of the Avars, who I believe were your people before they became known as Slovaks. Oh, interesting. That area, the decline yeah. of the Avars, the migration of Mongolian tribes towards the West, the end of the Sassanid Empire, which is uh, around Iran. Iranian, yeah. yeah. The collapse of the Gupta Empire. The yeah. rise of Islam. The expansion of Turkic tribes. And like I mentioned, the fall of Teotihuacan. Yeah. All of those things happened because of one uh, volcanic eruption. It's theorized. The Byzantine historian Procopius recorded in 536 in his report on the wars with the Vandals. During this year, a most dread portent took place, for the sun gave forth its light without brightness, and it seemed exceedingly like the sun in eclipse, for the beams it shed were not clear. So if you're like an L.A. person, you should be familiar with this kind of haze. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's it's that, like sun through the smoke but for 18 months um let's see in the gaelic irish annals it's recorded there was a failure of bread in the year 536 ad and then another in a different annals of a gaelic annal it says a failure of bread from the years 536 to 539 um low temperatures even snow during the summer uh led to widespread crop failures in china snow reportedly fell in august in china which caused the harvest there to be delayed dense dry fog in the middle east china and europe drought in peru all of these things so there's an article in science magazine which is um hilarious because that (laughs) i'm i'm such a simpleton where it's like Oh, Science Magazine can't be. <laughs> yeah. It, it well, must duh. be. Yeah, because it's called Science. Not because it's actually a reputable publication. but um, So there's this timeline. There's a timeline. 536, Icelandic volcano erupts, dimming the sun for 18 months. Summer temperatures drop by 1.5 to 2.5 degrees Celsius. Wow. They don't drop to those numbers. They only drop by those numbers, right? Yeah. 536 to 545, coldest decade on record in 2,000 years. Crops fail in Ireland, Scandinavia, Mesopotamia, and China. 540, second volcanic eruption. Summer temperatures drop again by 1.4 to 2.7 degrees in Europe. 541, the Justinian bubonic plague spreads through the Mediterranean, Mediterranean killing 35 to 55% of the population. and speeding the collapse of the eastern roman empire so like literally the year um the year what's his name belisarius 
begins making his huge push to regain all of it back, a volcano erupts that just speeds up the demise um, of the Eastern Roman Empire. Incredible. Wild. Really wild. Wild stuff. I mean, yeah, it's just like a, such... We we do such short what ifs, yeah. But like big what ifs, like are uh, what if about well, what if the the volcano in Iceland didn't erupt in five thirty six? Like, yeah. I mean, com- completely completely different mm-hmm. scope of human history. Like, not like, even just like yeah. Like, let's focus on like specifically one event, right? If the volcano didn't erupt, let's say Teotihuacan doesn't fall does that change the entire relationship of how we view pre-columbian versus post-columbian like like is south america and central america entirely different because they didn't fall because of one event right i mean and also think about so we we i mean not we but Mm -hmm. uh Western history, mm-hmm. basically from, let's say, 1500 BC, mm-hmm. was was just kind of like a a, a juggling mm-hmm. of 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 um, kind of concentration between Greece and Italy. Like mm-hmm. it was like, oh, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, mm-hmm. Roman Empire byzantine empire Mm -hmm. and then that fucking just hit a brick wall Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden like modern like we still owe a lot to those people but like modern geopolitics like the ancient greek and ancient roman terrain Mm -hmm. means nothing it's like well if 536 didn't happen is belisarius more important than julius caesar in the scope of human history is 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 istanbul like it you know yeah like are these well things... it's yeah it's like the funny dumb things like if you consider like the rise of islam right to be tied in with all this it's like would we be calling algebra something else if a volcano right. in iceland didn't erupt in 536 would we be calling algebra like numeraticos or some shit right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and instead we get like some fucking like a bunch of ibbins you know in the middle east who are just absolutely fucking pushing us forward intellectually right it's like it's crazy um the word that i'm holding on to then concatenation concatenation the idea of um a series of interconnected things or events right so it's kind of like the uh it's like the Fargo, Fargo phenomenon yeah. of like, you know, why our last episode didn't work. This is just like multiple different things. Right. Happened is all, it, happened. Is it, is it fate? Is it, what is it? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's like, and, and I think it's it's interesting to think about now, both in terms of climate change and in terms of like world power, like human stuff. Yeah, the idea of one little event. Um, and it will be interesting, I think, to to look back in twenty to thirty years, you know, around the fucking garbage can fire, like 
What was the one little event? Are we gonna remember? Are we gonna remember Wall Street bets? Are we gonna even remember? We're not. I mean, maybe we are. Who knows? Yeah, like maybe. But that's the thing is, maybe that does begin a chain of events. So, I love, I love this. I love our listeners, but I also love this exercise for us because it has like codified some (laughs) like really interestingly specific um Mm -hmm. uh, opinion or not opinions but like kind of perspectives that we have one that i think is really big that we have is Mm -hmm. like moral relativism i think that we both without Mm -hmm. knowing it before we started this project like realize that we understand like that gray area is like the entirety of human existence and like you have to understand the context of everything in order to understand ethics and morality Mm -hmm. and also there's like a weird like calvinist strain like i do Mm -hmm. think we both have like a certain level of like understanding that like things have happened because they have had to happen the way Mm -hmm. i mean and we're not i mean we're not calvinists i don't know what if there's a word for that that's not somehow tied into religion i'll have to we'll have to look that's like what i would like like when people i think like the mainstream connotation of agnosticism i think is kind of what you're describing yeah where it's like well there is a there is something happening right and there's probably a a more detailed plan Mm -hmm. but we're not capable of understanding because there's like the two versions i think of agnosticism where it's like I don't know, and so and I, I don't just care. don't know. Right. Yeah. And then there's like the kind of agnosticism. I'm, I'm the, if someone were to like ask me to really hone in on my religious beliefs, mm-hmm. I think that my most widely and strongly held belief is the, like, the ant analogy. That mm. I think I've told you about, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll yeah, yeah, say it again. Um, is that if all of a sudden I saw an ant mm-hmm. on my desk, mm-hmm. and I put my finger down and started walking on my finger, mm-hmm. then I lifted my finger up, moved it around, and I put it down, and the ant got off my finger. Mm-hmm. The ant is capable of a of understanding it's like physical place Mm -hmm. but it it doesn't have the capacity to contemplate me Mm -hmm. as a sentient being like affecting its life somehow right and i think that it is it is without question Mm -hmm. like you cannot deny Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where I cannot prove, but you mm-hmm. can also not deny that we are mm-hmm. not also ants and that mm-hmm. there is some sort of force that we are truly because of our carbon matter mm-hmm. and who and our brain power completely incapable of understanding yeah. the forces at work. You you can't and, and this is maybe like God Mm-hmm. This is, like some people would call God, some would right. call Allah. It it doesn't matter at the end of the day what it is. But but the the reality is that 
I believe that there is a force mm. at work mm-hmm. that I cannot, my capacity, my existence is not meant to understand. Mm-hmm. I cannot understand mm-hmm. it. I don't know if that makes me agnostic. I don't know what that makes me. But I, I think that it makes me have faith, right? you know, and and maybe even more than faith, have a a an appreciation yeah. that it's not, not going to be good necessarily, right. but that it is a force mm-hmm. and awe, I'm in awe of it. Maybe. There was a cool um, poetic moment when uh, going back to Mormonism, hilariously, a f- the friend that I had referred to wh- whose family has all left the church, um, her, her dad had said something very interesting when he was making this decision. So he is someone who grew up in the Mormon church and was Mormon until maybe like a couple years ago in his 50s now. He said the, cl- the farther science gets, the closer it gets to religion. Or God, mm-hmm. right? It's like I the close, the farther we get in like physics and things like that, the more weirdly, the more evidence there appears to be for some kind of God. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't reconcile that with the church's expression of God and all that. Yeah, I, that makes so, so here's sense. A, yeah, here's a, here's a, a religious a person within a religious institution who, because of science has confirmed his faith and therefore pushed him to leave his church, you know? Yeah. Which I think is about as like honest as you can get about it all. <laughs> yeah. You know? I agree completely. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, science is, we are going, we are entering into an age of ir- irreligiousness. Like mm-hmm. the 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 um the amount of non-believers will outnumber the believers uh, in our lifetime, if it hasn't right. already. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, but at the same time, the areas and the kind of like age of science that we're entering into is mm-hmm. mimicking religion. In right. many, many ways. Right. And, and science is our new religion. It is. And and it, and yeah. to the point that, like, just like all religions are wrong in ways, mm-hmm. I think that there is truth to the idea that science is inherently wrong in many ways. Right. Like, I wouldn't call our science and medicine that we have now, like, pseudo, but I would right. call it proto. Like, mm-hmm. Like, I think that many things that we except as scientific fact are mm-hmm. just a a a tiny element of the truth right and part of me part of me as a progressive i guess thinks that human humans that our existence is a collective pers- like a constant progression towards like mm-hmm. knowing it but mm-hmm. also there's something fun in thinking about like the mystery of it all in no in thinking in thinking about it as the ant like even if all the ants work together for thousands of years they will never be any closer to unlocking the things that they do not understand and i and i just i don't know how like it is tremendously arrogant 
as humans not to think that that is the same where it's like we cannot comprehend some things right there are forces of the universe dimensions to be seen that we cannot see mm-hmm. you know just like some people are born colorblind like mm-hmm. we are incapable of seeing something and that's mm-hmm. okay it's part that's of it's okay. part it's part of it i do think there is the the folly the folly of science right now and how it how it's regarded by the general populace is the idea that it might be the end all be all it might be the thing that gives us the answer the idea not, that not, yeah the idea that somehow human humanity or like human existence is a jigsaw puzzle and you, mm-hmm. all we're doing right now is just putting right. the jigsaw puzzle together yeah. and i just i don't think that that it, it's not some things are i mean mm-hmm. we are we are developing we are evolving mm-hmm. and so therefore mm-hmm. we we gain more knowledge collectively but right. we're never gonna we're never gonna solve the jigsaw puzzle no. nor should we and, that doesn't and the that's mo- not fun and, and it just keeps falling back to the thing of like people who fucking listen to the gospel gospel of elon musk for example yeah it's like what how is that different from any other past person that yeah that would be considered idolatry it's idolatry it's so funny Absolutely. because you know what, what the I love your concession about Calvinism because God has never played a bigger role in my life than this past year hmm. in a way where it, it's mostly just like oh I kind of like I get the I get it yeah. I get kind of what's intended and to think that I had been such a like atheist right and at for me at 29 to now make room in my heart for God is like, yeah, what, you know, but like that doesn't, you know, God, it's, it's for me, God is what like physicists would call the subatomic subatomic particles, you know, what everyone, I mean, this is, this is this not to be like sappy. Cause it's not, this isn't really supposed to be a sappy statement, but like mm-hmm. this thing that we're doing, Mm-hmm. is like m- the closest thing I've come to like proof of concept of God that I've come mm-hmm. across in my life, which is the the concept of like forming a thought mm-hmm. and expounding upon it and like and like like creating this space between two people where it's like mm-hmm. we're just like processing thoughts to it to each other. Like I've always held on as like that is that is like the concept of God is like this, this shared consciousness, shared Mm -hmm. conception of the world. And it doesn't, yeah, it's, and, and, and everybody can have their own thoughts on it. Like, right. And, and, and I think that that is a fundamental kind of like issue with atheism, like Mm -hmm. big a atheism is that it's Mm -hmm. like, no, well find your God. If you, if if right. if there is no god to you find it cuz it mm-hmm. can be anything like you don't mm-hmm. you don't the it can the conception can be pretty broad and it doesn't need to be like based on any other factor other than the way that you think you know yeah it just means that you need to think more everybody just cuz especially looking yeah. back now it's like my relation to like 
you know, my relation most of my life to like film arts is not very different from how what people looked for in the Bible. Right. Like the 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 what they were searching for. Not very different from what I was searching for in art, right? right? So, uh, take a step back. You know, don't 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 fall into the uh the never-ending cycle like the recursive thinking that comes with metacognition if you go too far. Right. But think metacognitively about that stuff you you start to realize that art religion science all of these things are all kind of all this coming from the same place yeah i like to think of them as just different pairs of glasses and god just happens to be the word yeah yeah mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. but like they're, they're a good way to put it they're all just different pairs of glasses and they they allow you to see the world uh right. through that lens you know, it's like mm-hmm. it's it it's different paradigms, and mm-hmm. you can spend your entire life in a single paradigm. And honestly, more power to you if that makes you comfortable. Yeah. More power to you, but that, that that means that you also have the opportunity to the more you learn, the more you see, the more different pairs of glasses that you mm-hmm. own, and you get to like put those on and see the world through that frame. Yeah, it's it's it's. But it's all related. They're all the same. They're from mm-hmm. the. They're they're all from the same glasses store. To complete the yeah. analogy. And and that's why that's what's funny about you being you you saying like, like, uh, preempting what you're saying by saying like sappiness, bringing up yeah. sappiness and all that. And um, I've had our friend Tim, for example, yeah. uh, respond to something I I said as like, isn't that just a truism though? And I go, well, it's a truism because it's true. Right. But the only reason we have to keep saying it is because we clearly haven't embodied it. Right. The way whoever first said it and knew what was what they were talking about meant, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's and and I think there's a lot of like late 20th century philosophers all the way to like people now where it's just like you have to unlearn a bunch of stuff that you learned as you know as you were growing up and go back to the simplest fucking truths yeah you know you just have to love your neighbor as you love yourself and all these simple things we just have a hard time doing it yeah i think on that note that's say, the note i say we, we 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 send you off listener if you got to the end i think i i deeply hope that you enjoyed this conversation i enjoyed it Mm -hmm. i had a great time i think that we are stoked that you guys are listening uh we would love to kind of hear your interest and impact on this like please engage if you you know if you're interested at all and uh yeah otherwise we'll see you next week we love you truly we love you in all but one country Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, up the rod. All right. Yeah. Adios, guys. Adios. <laughs>